Welcome to our 137th podcast and the 107th as a city on a hill church. On this beautiful mountain Sunday morning, Pastor Mike opens Philippians 4, verses 10 through 19. Since his messages reflect a verse-by-verse walk through Scripture, we come to a subject not often covered by churches today, or covered improperly, the subject of giving or tithing. What is the biblical teaching on giving for today's Christian? Are we expected by God to tithe as the Old Testament prescribes? Or is God the great cash cow in the sky returning $10 for every one put in the offering plate? What exactly are his promises concerning his provision? Here is Pastor Michael Clark to give us God's word on this most important subject for all of us. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 10 to 19. And I've entitled the message, An Overflowing Blessing. And we're going to talk about giving this morning. It's what's here in the text. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Verse 19, And my God shall supply all of your needs, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's, it's interesting that that verse is a very well-known verse, Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, but you really have to have the context that comes before that to understand what Paul and the Holy Spirit through Paul was conveying to the church here. Notice that he mentions that his needs uh, have been met by this church. Uh, you've shared with me, uh, my needs are met. He says, I've received everything in full. I am amply supplied. And so as they met the needs of the work of God, and they made it a priority to meet the needs of the work of God in the early church, he says, as a result of you giving to me and giving to the, really to the Lord, but Paul was the apostle that God was, was using to preach the gospel. He says, as a result of this, 
here's the promise that you get. Because of this, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He says, my needs are met. I'm fully supplied because of your generosity. And, and as a result, God is going to bless your socks off, he says. He is going to take care of you and he's going to meet all of your needs. Paul is, is recognizing here. He's appreciative uh, that they had a concern for him, that they were thoughtful. I mean, they're on the other side of the world. They didn't have internet. They didn't have uh, TV. They didn't have radio. Uh, they, they only had letters. And it was dangerous traveling uh, on the Roman roads. There was bandits and so forth. Uh, and, and you'd have to travel sometimes by boat, by ship, hundreds of miles. And, uh, and so it was a big deal. I mean, you, you, it would really take a lot of faith to send a, a financial gift across the Roman Empire uh, because you could get robbed, you can get beaten up, murdered, the money could be stolen. Uh, there's no guarantee it's even going to get there. You don't get an email when it arrives that they received the money safe and sound. I mean, you'd have to wait perhaps years to even get a letter back recognizing that the money even made it. So it took a tremendous amount of faith on these people to uh, in the church here in Philippi to take up a collection to support that great apostle who was locked up in a dungeon uh, on house arrest in a, in, a, in a dungeon jail at this point. Uh, and, you know, jails, as Don will tell you, he's been to the prisons in Honduras. Pastor Osmond's born ministers in the prisons in Uganda. Uh, prisons are not a nice place. You know, it's not three square meals and a, and, and a television and a workout room and all the rest like like the prisons are here. Uh, in, in other countries, in third world countries especially. And so certainly uh, uh, they were concerned for the needs of their uh, spiritual father, Paul the Apostle, who had planted this church in Philippi, and they wanted to make sure that he was taken care of because there was no guarantee that anyone else was going to be taking care of his physical needs uh, while he was out there ministering on behalf of Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel. He gives us this wonderful teaching on contentment, on trusting the Lord for provision, saying, I've learned uh, to be content at, at all times in all things, whether I'm, I'm abased or whether I'm abounding. He, he would say, I am, I am content with whatever God has provided for me. So there are some uh, promises in the Bible that are unconditional promises. And there are some promises in the Bible that are conditional promises. An unconditional promise is a promise like uh, like this, whoever or whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Unconditional. Doesn't matter if you're young or old or uh, educated or uneducated, a, a child or, or, or a senior citizen, uh, what country you're from, what language you speak, uh, what color your skin is, doesn't matter. It's unconditional. Whosoever will call upon the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved. Clear, unconditional promise of God. Um, there are also conditional promises, a sort of a if this, then this sort of a promise. And actually, if you read through the Bible, a lot of the promises in the Bible are conditional promises. God says, I will do this for you. You have my word, but you must do this first. And so it's kind of like a, a step of faith or a step of obedience. And as you step up in, out in obedience to the promise of God, then he will provide what he promises that he's going to provide. And so uh, giving is, is, is much like that. There are tremendous promises of provision for the child of God. Uh, but in order for you to claim those promises, 
there has to be some act of faith on your part and on my part in order to kind of activate that promise uh, in our lives. And giving is one of those promises. It's an if-then sort of a thing. Even as Paul was saying, you know, because you did this for me, then this promise is yours. My God shall supply all of your needs because you were concerned for the needs of the church. You were concerned for the needs of the servant of God, the apostle of Jesus Christ, who's out there preaching the gospel on the front lines. Then your needs will be supplied also because you are supplying, he says, uh, the needs of the church and the needs of the body. We read Malachi 3, and it's, it's, the, it's the verse that I usually use when we take up the collection, and we have it in, uh, uh, we, when we used to print out the bulletins every week. We, you know, we, I don't think we do the bulletin printouts every week anymore, but um, it, we, we had it in the bulletin, we were printing them out, because it, it's, it's sort of one of those if-then promises that you could stand upon in the Scriptures when it comes to our giving. Now, let me make it clear, you're not required to give money as a Christian, you're not required. It's not uh, a, an a, a obligement that you are obliged to give any amount to the Lord as, as, as the church. And we're going to look at that in a minute. It's different than the Old Testament and, and the Jews in the Old Testament. They were required to give uh, a tremendous amount of their wealth uh, to the temple and to the priesthood and so forth. There's no such requirement for the Christian. But because there's no such requirement, a lot of times there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to giving in the church. There's, there, you know, there's, there's typically two uh, extremes. Uh, one of the extremes is where people are promised prosperity and riches and health and wealth if they give money. That is not biblical. You can't give to get. You can't give with the intention of wanting more and I'm going to get more if I give to this televangelist. And they spin it and they twist the scriptures uh, to where they, they, they uh, activate and they work upon your human greed. And so they, they, they get you to give money based on your greed. That if you give to me, you're going to get more. You're going to have a mansion. You're going to have a million dollars. You know, your seat of faith of $1,000 is going to turn into $10,000 or $100,000. And they make all these crazy promises, which of course do not end up happening for the overwhelming majority of the people. And uh, the only person that gets rich is the televangelist. Everyone else gets broke because they're giving everything to the televangelist so he could buy another jet or another mansion on the beach. And it's, it's, it's a terrible travesty and a perversion uh, of this principle. So then people get burned out on giving. They think, I'm never going to give to another ministry because those guys are all a bunch of a bunch of charlatans, a bunch of crooks. Then you have the examples of the uh, some of the more traditional churches where there are requirements of giving. And if you want to get someone buried, you have to pay several thousand dollars to the church to have a mass to get them buried. And if you don't pay several thousand dollars, you're not going to have a mass. And therefore, they're not going to have the sanctified blessing of the church upon your loved one that's being buried. And so, in essence, they begin to sell uh, the, the services of God, which should be free uh, for the child of God in the church. And so then it becomes more of a pay to play sort of a thing. And then the more you give, uh, the more that God will give you. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's more of a uh, obligation. You know, if you want to get married, if you want to get buried, these sorts of things, you've got to pay up. And, uh, and even that is, is a twisting of the New Testament teaching on giving. Giving should be a free will sort of an exchange. I should give because I want to give. I shouldn't give because I have to give. And by the way, I tithe first to my church 
whether I'm pastoring the church or not, and I give above and beyond 10% every time, off my gross, always have, always will. I learned that when I was a baby Christian. The Baptist drilled it into me real good. And I learned about giving the first fruits to God. Uh, I remember when I was first saved and I had a $20 bill in my pocket and I was dead broke. And, uh, and I'd you know, been taught about the tithe and the offering bags were going around and the pastor says, you know, give the first fruits, give the, the tenth to God. And I was like, can I get change? You know, I have this 20. You know, I, I, I really didn't quite understand, you know, how am I supposed to give 10%? And, I, and so in the end, I just thought, you know, Lord, you could have it all. What is it? It's 20 bucks. But to me, it was all that I had in my pocket at the time. And, and I, I remember that because I felt like the Lord was pleased that he's, he was teaching me these principles that it really doesn't belong to me anyways. And God owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills and all the gold and all the gold mines. It's all his. And so uh, you, you, you start to step out in faith and give to God's work. Well, uh, I ended up immediately after that getting a job earning $1,500 a month. And I remember writing my first tithe check of $150 to the church. And I remember that $20 bill when I was thinking if I could grab change out of there when it was going by, you know. Uh, and I thought, man, isn't God good? Here I gave him $20 and he gave me $1,500 a month. Uh, and then I got promoted. I got another job and I was making, you know, $2,600 a month. And then I got another job and got a promotion. Then I was making $75,000 a year. And then I got another job and I was pro. This is over a period of years uh, and I was making $200,000 a year as a stockbroker in Edward Jones uh, in Lancaster. <clears throat> and I would write a $20,000 check. 10% of whatever the gross was that I made went first to God. But see, I learned that principle when I had nothing. And I learned it when I had 20 bucks in my pocket and I threw it in the bag. And so these are spiritual disciplines and spiritual truths and spiritual laws. It's the law of sowing and reaping that whatever a man sows this also shall he reap and this is certainly true when it comes to uh, our finances and when it comes to giving to god's work now malachi 3 kind of lays this out very clearly if you look again at the context we usually just read malachi 3:10, but if you read the context of what is being taught here it's this if then sort of an equation malachi 3 verse 7 says this from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He was talking to the nation of Israel. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. And so the Lord is basically telling his people, Israel, 
Um, and, and for them, it really was uh, robbing God because they were commanded to give tithes and offerings. And, and, and it wasn't just 10%, as we're going to see in a minute, for the Jews in, in the Old Testament times. It was a lot more than 10% that they were required to give. <clears throat> and God is saying, <clears throat> you know, you're robbing me. How have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? And then he says, and, and it's bringing a curse upon yourself. It's like a law. He says this, you know, because you're withholding what belongs to me, God says, uh, there's a devourer that's destroying the fruits of your ground. It's, dev it's devouring the vine uh, in your field that's casting forth its grapes. And so he's, he's, he's kind of trying to correlate it for him. You're having, you know, terrible success with your crops. You're having terrible success in your, in your finances, in your business. And he's saying, here's the reason, because you're not putting me first with your finances. And this, this was something that at this point in the Jews' history, they knew very, very clearly. This is the last book of the Old Testament, uh, Malachi, written to the nation of Israel. And so they knew this. They knew better. And yet they were choosing not to give God their best, not to give God their first fruits. And, and God says, look, if you would bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse, so there's food in my house, God says, uh, and you could test me in this and see if I'm faithful, God says. The only time in the Bible God says you could test him is with your giving. It's the only place in the Bible you're allowed to test God is with your giving of your first fruits to God to, to see if he will not then provide for all of your needs. God says, test me now in this. And he says, if you do this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there's food in my house for my servants, you test me now in this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. See, there's the conditional if. If you do this, then I will do this. The same thing is true in Philippians chapter 4. If you provide for the needs of the apostle, then my God shall supply, this is what Paul was saying, all of your needs according to his riches uh, in glory. And, and a lot of this is just, guys, it's just out of ignorance. This is, uh, you know, money's either taught on too much, and people are scared when they hear a pastor teaching about money or it's never taught on at all and people aren't educated. See, there's another thing that happens in some of the older denominational churches. They own everything and they own some of the prime real estate all over the world. They have, you know, cathedrals, gorgeous cathedrals that are some of the most expensive buildings in the whole nation or the whole village or the whole city around the world. And they don't they don't really need money <clears throat> because they have. <clears throat> built and funded this organization. They have endowments with hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank that people have given generously over hundreds of years uh, to, to their ministry, some of these major old denominations. And so they really don't teach on tithing anymore because they don't need people's tithe. They have a paid priest, a paid pastor who's on the, you know, uh, works for the church or works for the denominational organization, the church denomination. That church has a billion dollars. Uh, their national headquarters. And so they have the money to, to pay for the ministry. And so what ends up happening is, is the people really aren't taught about giving. Uh, and then eventually, um, if, if God's blessing in his hand is no longer upon that denomination or upon that ministry, uh, then those churches are, are empty. You have a, a paid priest or a paid pastor and you only have five or ten uh, little people that are there, usually senior citizens, usually widows that are sitting there in the front row, and you have this church that seats 2,000, this cathedral, magnificent cathedral with the stained glass windows, and it's empty. Uh, and, and, and eventually, um, you know, the people uh, are not taught, they don't learn, those churches die, and it's, it's, it's just really, really sad. 
And so that is wrong too. We, we shouldn't rob people of the blessing of teaching them about tithing <clears throat> because I believe if, you, if one person in this room understands this and it clicks like it did for me when I got saved, you don't know how many people you're going to affect by giving your first fruits to God for the rest of your life of all of your increase that comes into you. How many lives are going to be touched because of your faithfulness and obedience uh, in giving to the work of God? And so I think a lot of it is based in just ignorance, that we are ignorant of what the Bible teaches on this subject, and things have been so twisted and convoluted by greedy uh, you know, charlatans who are just trying to enrich themselves that it just turns everybody off when uh, uh, anyone talks about money. I, I, I haven't taught on money here. Probably most of you have never heard me teach on giving uh, because I only teach on it when I come across it in the scriptures and we go verse by verse. So when we come across it, whatever the subject is, we look at it and we teach it. And then, of course, then it's up to you and the Holy Spirit leading you uh, to obey or to, to do what you feel led to do uh, as the Lord leads you. But here he's saying, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And I appreciate what Don said. <clears throat> That's what we always teach is that the first fruit should come to where you are being fed. I used to have people, <clears throat> when I had uh, the national radio ministry of City on a Hill Radio, we would have people who would write us, we would have people, we'd get 10, 15, 20 emails a week from all over the country, uh, different parts of the world. Uh, of people that were listening to the radio ministry and being blessed by the teaching of the word. And oftentimes we would have people email us and say, I want to send my tithe to a city on a hill radio. Uh, you know, how do I do that? And we, of course, had an online giving uh, uh, service available and so forth that people wanted to give. But the first thing that, that I would answer them is, are you attending a local church? <clears throat> and if you are attending a local church, that is where your tithe belongs. Because you bring your whole tithe into the storehouse, so there's food in my house, God says. So that there's food to pay for this local body or that local body in New York or New Jersey or wherever the email was coming from, Indiana or Florida. Uh, and, and if the person... Now, there are situations... Where, where I became their pastor and a city on a hill radio became their church because they couldn't go to church or there was no church in 200 miles away that they could attend, that they could agree doctrinally with or line up with uh, theologically. Or maybe they weren't in good health or maybe they lost their driver's license. A lot of elderly people, they lose their driver's license, uh, especially the widows, uh, and they can't get out anymore and they need someone to go and pick them up and bring them to church. So in that situation, I would tell someone, well, if we are your church and this is, you know, this is where you're feeding from spiritual food, <clears throat> then this is your storehouse. And it's OK to tithe to a radio ministry if that is your church. But if you are listening to a great radio program that's ministering to you during the week, but you have a local church, you should be tithing to your local church first even though we needed the money. I mean, we had a huge amount of money going out to buy radio time all over the country. It wasn't that we didn't need the money, but we wanted people to understand these biblical truths, that you give the first fruits to your local church. That's the tithe. And a tithe was and is one-tenth. That's what tithe means. It means tenth, as we're going to see here uh, in a minute. And it's a, it's a big enough challenge for most of us to give a tenth. And it's always kind of like the goal. That's the goal is to try and give a tenth of our first fruits to the local church where we are a part of, where we're being ministered to. And then, you know, as you 
see the Lord provide, as you see the Lord uh, meet your needs, and then there's more left over after you've given your tithe uh, to your local church, then you begin to support other outreaches, ministries, television ministries, radio ministries, missions organizations, and your church, by the way, will be supporting uh, or should be supporting other uh, mission endeavors also with the tithes that come in uh, to the church. I believe churches should tithe a tenth, and we do that too. So if we get whatever amount comes in, $1,000 comes in in a week, $100 goes out to missions from our church money that comes in to us. And it goes out to Africa, to Pastor Osborne, and to the orphanage in Uganda. Now we're stepping out and we're going to be supporting the mission to the Honduras. Uh, and, you know, God provides. This church isn't even two years old, guys. We haven't even been here for two years yet. And yet we're already supporting missions all over the world in different parts of the world. And we're paying the bills here and meeting the needs here. That's how God works. No pressure. I've never asked you for money. I've never taught you on money before about, about these subjects in the last year and a half, two years. Uh, it, it, so God does this. He provides. And, and it's just, it's, it's like the light bulb turning on and saying, I get it. It's not about them wanting my money. It's about me wanting God to fulfill his promises that he's going to provide all of my needs. If I put him first, he is always going to take care of my needs as they come up. Um, I, I have a great story. I told a couple of you what happened this week. And typically I don't talk about myself or my own stories. I don't want it to be my, my home movies that I'm showing you here on Sunday mornings. Some pastors, they want to pull out their old home movies and <laughs> show you when they were little and their first Christmas. And, um, but the, it's just interesting. I had this sermon ready to, to teach this week. And um, lo and behold, my water heater blows out on me this week. And I don't even know how much a water heater cost. I was shocked, actually, to find out how much it was to replace a water heater. It was $1,350 right before Thanksgiving. And my water heater's done. I mean, the, the, the plumber comes out and says, it's done. I mean, you've got water leaking out in your garage. Eventually, it's just going to go, and it's just going to be pouring water. It's going to ruin the wall. It's going to seep into your house. You've really got to get this thing changed out. $1,350. And I'm like, man, I don't have that much money. I don't even, you know, oh, I take credit cards. I don't have a credit card with $1,350 on it. You know, this is not a, a, a planned budgeted expense and I don't have that much in reserves. And I was just like, well, Lord, uh, I'm trusting you to figure this out. Uh, I had just written a tithe check the week before to the church, giving my first fruits to God. So I just said, Lord, I'm going to trust you to figure this out. I had to, to go to work uh, over at the county. Before I went to work, I went and I grabbed my mail out of my mailbox. I'm thumbing through the bills and I see uh, what looks like a legal uh, document that's coming from uh, Kaiser Permanente Insurance. Insurance company I had five or six years ago. Haven't had Kaiser Permanente in years. And I'm thinking, oh, probably another bill, you know, <laughs> from the past or something. So I, you know, take it and I, I, I open it up. I'm thinking, what a terrible day. I get a $1,350 hit on this. Uh, you know, water heater, and now I'm getting an old bill, probably I'm going to have to fight from Kaiser Permanente. No, it wasn't a bill. It was a check for $775, a refund for an overpayment of services from five years ago from Kaiser Permanente. And I'm just like, Lord, you are too amazing. No one's going to believe this story, <laughs> you know? Literally, the same day that I had the plumber tell me, 
sorry, it's 1350 bucks. I don't take payments. You have to pay me up front. Otherwise, I can't do the work for you. The Lord knows I don't have the money. And I get this in the, in the mail. And then I remember I have mileage. You know, I, I get paid mileage for my travels within the county when I'm out on county business. And so I thought, I haven't turned in my mileage in a little while. So I went to my office. I plugged in my mileage. It was another $200 uh, from the county to reimburse me for my mileage. So, you know, I could, I could scrape together a few hundred bucks. I couldn't scrape together $1,350. I got my new water heater put in on Friday. That way, Don had hot water when he took a shower this morning in my house. So. so, I mean, yeah, the Lord gets the credit for that, guys. And, and, and you all could tell stories like this. I know you could. You could, you could, you could all, because I have many stories like this that I could share about the Lord's faithfulness. He promises to meet our needs. If you meet the needs of the church and his needs, so there's food in his house, God says, I'm not going to be a debtor to you. Test me in this. I will meet your needs if you are meeting my needs and the needs of my church and my people. And if I'm not going to participate in meeting the needs of the church, God will find someone else to bring in that will meet the needs of the church. God's not worried about it. It's not about him wanting your money. You know, God's not trying to raise cash god is trying to teach us as his children these laws and principles like you teach a child i taught my children how to tithe from the time they would get allowance from the time that they would get christmas money from their grandparents and to this day they still give their first tenth to their church always give their first tenth to god and this is a a, a principle that needs to be taught we need to understand it we need to uh realize it's it's in our best interest to put God first in our giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in the New Testament, in verse 5, Paul the Apostle says this to the church in Corinth. He says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. 2 Corinthians 9. Verse 5, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Verse 8, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything, in all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Again, all of this is tied up in the promise that they were giving a bountiful gift to support Paul the Apostle's ministry. And all of these blessings, all of these promises, if you do this, then you will receive this. He who sows sparingly or gives sparingly, you want to give leftovers and loose change, you're going to reap leftovers and loose change. If you want to give uh, bountifully and give the first fruits 
uh, you will receive bountifully from the Lord. It's a law. It's like planting seeds, and what's going to grow up is what you planted. It's a spiritual law. And then he says in verse 7, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Oh, here come the offering bags. I guess I have to give my tithe to this church, you know. It's like God doesn't need your money that bad. He doesn't want you to give grudgingly. If you can't give cheerfully, don't give at all. It's that simple. Well, I don't want to give. Well, then don't give. You're fine. We're fine. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. Again, he owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. But God will bless you if you put him first with your giving. He will bless your finances. He will meet your needs. It is a promise of God. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing that is overflowing that cannot be contained. It's interesting that tithing is a great equalizer for everyone. Remember the, the, the woman who gave the poor women woman, widow who gave her mite, which was like half a penny. And Jesus was seeing all these rich Pharisees and religious leaders that were, you know, blowing a trumpet. Doo, 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 so everybody would look and then they'd take their money and they would dump it into the treasury pot and it would clang and make a whole bunch of noise and people would applaud. Look at how much they're giving to God's work. And Jesus said, look at that little woman here. He pointed out this woman, this poor widow who gave a half a penny, the widow's mite. And he says, she has given more than all these other rich people have dumped into the treasury today. And I'm sure that apostles, the apostles, the disciples were scratching their head thinking, but she gave nothing, it's half a penny. These guys are giving hundreds and thousands of dollars in gold to the temple. But Jesus was saying, she gave all she had. She gave everything. She gave in faith. These rich people have plenty more where that came from. They've got, they've got storehouses full of cash. And, and they're trying to get a big bunch of attention from all the crowd by giving publicly a lot of money so they could get the applause of men. And Jesus would say they've already received their reward in full. They got the attention and the applause of men. They got their reward. But that woman, I bet you that woman has the biggest mansion in heaven out of any mansion that Jesus built in heaven. That widow's got probably the nicest, fanciest house in all of heaven. Not because of how much she gave, but because of the sacrifice of what she gave. The, the might was all she had. And, and, and the Lord Jesus recognized. He saw her sacrifice. So the Lord sees. He sees what we give. He takes account. He knows. And the tithe is the great equalizer. You know, one-tenth, in the tithe is one-tenth. It's not one-fifth, like Joseph uh, ordered in Egypt, that they all give one-fifth of their grain uh, or 20% to the Pharaoh. It's not one-fifth. It's not one-quarter. It's not one-half. Nor is it 1% or 2% or 5%, one-twentieth. God determined that the first fruits, the tithe is one-tenth. And that's equal for all of us, whether you're rich or you're poor. If somebody has a million dollars, it's a pretty big deal to write a check for $100,000 to the local church. But people do it. People do it. If people are faithful tithers and they've learned these lessons, they recognize, I would never have had this million dollars if I wasn't faithful in my giving all along the way, therefore the first fruits belong to God, the, I'll write a check for $100,000 to my local church. Anonymously, I don't want recognition, I don't want anybody to know between me and God. I don't want the left hand to know what the right hand is doing. 
for someone who has $1,000 to write a check for $100 is a, is a sacrifice. It may not be the same amount, but it's an equal sacrifice between the, be, between the parties. Actually, someone who has millions of dollars could, could give far more than 10% if they wanted to. Again, it's not a law. We're not under the law in the New Testament church. We don't have to give anything like the Jews had to give. Otherwise, they were robbing God. We're not required to give anything. Uh, but it's, it, it's what we are instructed to do is to give our first fruits to God. And the tithe is a, is a great place to start. It's a great equalizer among the rich and the poor. It's actually the easiest way to serve the Lord is by giving our tithe. It's the easiest way. What does it require of you but to write a check or to bring some cash and put it in an envelope? You know, it's no hard work. You don't have to go to the Honduras and go into a third world country. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to seminary and, you know, get a degree in theology in order to become a pastor. You don't have to show up early or stay late setting up and cleaning up. You don't have to go knocking on doors or street witnessing and taking that. All those things are good. It's, it's the easiest way, actually, to be able to serve the Lord and to invest into your spiritual bank account in heaven through your giving and you're serving of the Lord. Anybody could do it. Everybody could do it. Doesn't matter what your health is like. Doesn't matter what your education level is. And yet God recognizes when people give the first fruits to him and he will reward. He will honor. He will honor his word to you that he will meet all of your needs. And you are laying up treasure in heaven, uh, Jesus tells us. Now, the tithe was uh, originally introduced in Genesis chapter 14 when the father of the faith, Abraham, had uh, basically you know, defeated the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities, and he took a whole bunch of spoils of war. And Abraham gave one-tenth to the high priest king Melchizedek. Melchizedek was likely an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ in the flesh, a Christophany or Theophany, as the theologians call it. And uh, Jesus is the high priest and the king. Uh, and, and Abraham gave him one-tenth of all the spoils of war to Melchizedek. So the tithe was established long before the law. It was around before, hundreds of years, before Moses was born, and the law came about, the law of Moses came about. Uh, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, Abraham's grandson, he also gave one-tenth to God as he was coming back from uh, uh, living with his uncle in Haran uh, and, and was, was coming back to to his, uh, see his brother Esau and was worried that Esau was going to want to kill him. And uh, Jacob had become a very wealthy man working for his uncle Laban. God blessed his socks off over there. And, and, and Jacob said, I'm going to give one-tenth to God. I'm going to give the first tenth to God. And that was a tithe. He learned that from his grandfather Abraham, obviously. And so it, it is something that God put in place a long time ago, long before the law was ever established. Now, when the law came and Moses came along, the lawgiver, hundreds of years later after Abraham and Jacob, the law was codified and it was put into the law of Moses as a requirement, the tithes and the offerings for the people of God, for the children of Israel. But it preceded the law by hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, in Leviticus chapter 27, this is where God makes it basically set in stone for Israel about uh, giving their tithe. And the tithe, as we're going to see, was just a starting point with their required giving to God in the Old Testament. Leviticus 27, verse 30 says this, Thus all the tithe of the land, and the tithe is just another word for tenth. Whenever you see tithe, it means tenth. It's not some random number. 
it's, it's just another word for tenth. Thus all the tithe or the tenth of the land of the seed of the land of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If therefore a man wishes to redeem part of his tithe, he shall add one fifth to it. And for every tenth part of herd or flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. And so basically what they would have to do is they would have to, if they had 10 cows, they would bring them, you know, they would go out there and they would count their cows. It would go underneath the, the rod they'd hold over as they were counting. You know, there'd be, you know, 10, one of them would get put aside for God. 10 sheep, one of them would get put aside for God. 10 bushels of, uh, uh, of corn, one would, would be set aside for God and would go to the temple to pay for the needs of the temple and the servants of God in the house of God, the high priest, the priests, and the Levites, whose job it was to serve the Lord. They didn't have crops. They didn't have fields. They didn't have cattle. They didn't have merchandise to sell because they were there serving God on behalf of the people. And so God says, because they're here serving me in my house so that you have access to me and they're praying for you and they're offering sacrifices for you and they're teaching you uh, my law and the word of God, you need to support them. And so God established this, that the first tenth goes to God. That's where the tithe comes from. Now, it was much more than just a tenth that was required if you read through the Old Testament law. They were required to bring burnt offerings. They were required to bring grain offerings. They were required to bring peace offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. All these were separate offerings with separate designations in the law that they were required to bring to God. That was in addition to the tithe. They were also uh, invited to bring, not required, but invited to bring free will offerings. Freely give, and that's above and beyond everything else they've already given. And thanksgiving offerings. If they were really thankful one day for all God gave to them, they would go and give an extra offering to God as a thanksgiving offering. These were all designated offerings in the law. Uh, votive offerings or vow offerings. If they made a vow to God, God, if you'll do this for me, if you just get me out of this jam, I'm going to promise to give you a beautiful uh, bull or a beautiful goat or a beautiful ram uh, for, for your servants and for your house. Votive offering. If God fulfilled the vow and did for you what you had prayed for, then you would come and you would bring a votive offering to God. So it was far more than one-tenth for the Jews. One-tenth was just the basic starting point that was required. Then they were required to bring all of these different offerings at different times. They were also required to participate in the festivals, the Feast of first fruits. They had to give the whole first fruits of their whole crops or their fields or their cattle and, and their livestock to the Lord or their merchandise. If they were selling goods and services, they'd have to come and bring the whole thing in. Their first fruits of this season in the, in the spring would go to God, the festival or the feast of the first fruits. They'd have to bring a Passover lamb for the Passover. They'd have to pay a temple tax every single year. Remember the Jews were asking uh, Peter, doesn't your master pay the temple tax, the drachma tax? And Peter says, of course he does. And he went to the Lord, Lord, we need to pay, you know, pay this temple tax. The, the priests are asking for it. And, uh, and Jesus says, well, I won't get into it, but uh, Jesus tells him, go and catch a fish. And the first fish that you catch is going to have a coin in its mouth. And you can go and pay a tax for you and for me, Peter, with the coin that is caught, uh, the fish that is caught with a coin in its mouth. That's what Peter did. He went out, caught a fish, pulled it in. There was a coin stuck in its mouth, and that's how they paid. So even Jesus, who is God, paid the temple tax, although he was a son and he didn't have to. 
Um, so it's an example for us. Jesus is demonstrating, modeling this for us. Now, the New Testament actually never talks about the tithe. When you get into teachings of Paul the Apostle or Peter or John, uh, the tithe is really not mentioned. It's, it's believed to be that the tithe was still in place. Early church fathers and historians tell us that really the people of God uh, never stopped tithing. They just continued to tithe. Instead of tithing to the temple, the Jews that were saved tithed to the church. And so it wasn't something, it was kind of a moot point. It wasn't something that they, that they uh, talked about. It was probably just because the prim primarily the early church was made up of Jews and they were already taught from childhood to tithe. And so now instead of tithing to the temple, they tithed to their local church. Jesus did talk about tithing one time. I think this is actually the only time that the tithe is mentioned in the whole New Testament. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So the only time Jesus talks about the tithe, he does not revoke it. He does not replace it. He doesn't say, you used to bring a tithe and now you do this instead. So God never, he's silent. He doesn't tell us another way to pay the church's bills in the New Testament. So it is by default presumed that the tithe stands, not as a requirement, not as something that's uh, obligatory, that we have to do it, or we're going to be lawbreakers because we're not under the law in the church, but there's still bills that have to be paid if you want to have a local church and you want to have you know, uh, the needs of a ministry met. It costs money. Everything costs money. This building is not free. We pay rent for it. Uh, and, and, you know, everything that we do uh, uh, costs money. And so someone's got to pay the bills and, and it's much easier for us to share in that burden than for one rich person to be the, what if the rich person who's paying all the bills decides he doesn't like your church anymore? Does the church fold up and shut its doors because the rich guy who was paying all the bills left or because the million dollar endowment runs out? But if everybody's giving the first tenth, you never run out of money. You'll always have enough to pay, and you'll always have more left over if everybody's tithing to give to missions work and outreach and uh, evangelism and, and so forth. Again, this is, a, th this is a test of our spiritual maturity. It's a test of our trust in God. Are we really going to trust God with our money? And if we can't trust God, guys, with our money to provide for our, our, our needs, how can we trust Him with something more important like our salvation? which is eternity in heaven. We take that by faith too, that we're saved by faith through the grace of God that we believe in Jesus, we're going to heaven, but we can't trust God with the first tenth of our money. It's kind of a little bit of a contradiction. What's more valuable, our soul or our money? Of course, our soul is more valuable. And if we can't trust God with our money, how can we trust him with our soul? You see, so it's, it's an issue of spiritual maturity. It's an issue of, of, of understanding and, and, and correcting wrong teaching on the subject of money. And then it's an issue of faith. It's an issue of faith, stepping out in obedience and saying, Lord, the first fruits belong to you. And I'm going to step out in faith and trust you with that. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms or you give money to God, 
He says, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand knows what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. So that's why we don't make a big public showing about what people give. It's all private. What you give is between you and God. I don't count the money. I have men that count the money for me. So I don't know what you give. I don't want to know who's giving what. That's between you and God. I know how much comes in every week, and we send it up to Visalia, and Visalia helps pay all of our bills. And, uh, and it just works beautifully. Uh, but if we honored people for giving, well, then we get people who were giving for the wrong motives. They'd want to give. Like if I said, okay, who wants to give $100 today and really step out? Raise your hand, you know. And a couple of you raise your hand. Praise the Lord, brother. Let's see who wants to really have faith. Who wants to give $500 today, you know? And, you know, and then, and then $1,000. Stand up and give them a round of applause. Every, you know, and, and so it's like, well, you're, you're, you're defeating the purpose. This person's getting their reward now. They're giving only because you prompted them and prodded them, manipulated them, and you got the whole crowd to support them uh, to give. And that's not God's way. Let it be private. Let the left hand not know what the right hand is doing. And then you will be truly laying up treasure in heaven. We can't take it with us. You know, a rich man, stories told of a rich man that died and people were waiting outside. They knew he was a multimillionaire, you know, 100, 100 years ago or so. And they were wondering how much money he actually had. No one knew exactly how much money he had. And uh, the lawyers came out and the accountants as they read the will and the trust and so forth. And Somebody outside asked one of the lawyers who was coming out, he said, well, how much did he leave? And the lawyer said, he left all of it. He left it all. You know, and, and it doesn't matter how much money you have, guys, you can't take it with you. You're going to leave it all. They could bury it with you in your tomb like the pharaohs of old, and then grave robbers are going to come and steal it. Uh, you can't take it with you. The only way to take it with you is to send it ahead by giving to God now and many of you are nodding because you know this is true you know this is true in matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 jesus said do not lay up for your tre yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus is, you know, Jesus cannot lie. He's God. He's telling us, if you give to my work, you will be rewarded. Your needs will be met in this life. Not your wants, because the wants go on and on. They never end. But our needs will be met in this life. And we're laying up treasure in heaven that we will receive an eternal reward for You know, when we give God our money, guys, he could do so much more with our money, so much more good with our money than we could ever do on our own. You know, it's, it's really the idea of the, the crowdfunding or the crowdsourcing, uh, you know, uh, th that has become popular online. People GoFundMe sites and things like this. God thought of this hundreds and thousands of years ago, the GoFundMe idea uh, that, you know, we all come in and we give what we can. And then God does a great work because he pulls all of our resources together, the rich and the poor, the old and the young, the little and the much. He puts it all together and then he does a great work through 
the uh, generosity and the faithful giving of God's people. But God can do so much more than you and I could ever do with what's in our pocket or in our own hand. When we give it to Jesus, he can multiply it. Look what Jesus did with the little boy's lunch. 5,000 people, not including the women and children, 5,000 men to be fed. Jesus says they're hungry. They said, you know, even if we had tons of money, his disciples said, we couldn't buy enough food to, to, to feed all these people. You know, what do you want us to do? Tell them to go away. Jesus says, no, they need to eat. He goes, well, what have we got here? And they said, well, there's this little kid. He's got his lunch. It's five loaves of bread and two fish. But what good is that to feed 5,000? And Jesus says, well, bring it to me. He took the five loaves, the two fish. He thanked God he broke them. And then he just kept breaking the bread and breaking the fish. And he fed the 5,000 men, plus their wives and their children. And there were 12 baskets left over at the end of it. And oh, by the way, the little kid got to eat lunch too. He didn't lose anything. So when you give it to Jesus, he could do so much more with it than you could ever do on your own. I mean, at the wedding in Cana, they ran out of wine and his mother comes to him, you know, and Jesus says, woman, what is it to me that they ran out of wine? It's not my time yet, not my hour. And, uh, and so Jesus says, okay, well, well, bring me what you've got. What have you got here? They said, we just have water. You know, you can't, you know, you might be able to filter wine and get water out of wine, but you can't get wine out of water. It doesn't work that way. Like we just have, you know, these pots of water here. And uh, Jesus will bring them to me. And then Jesus turned the water into new wine, sweet wine. And they said, this is the best wine we ever had. And that doesn't mean it was the most alcoholic. Not like today, people. The best wine is 30% alcohol today. Back then, the best wine was the freshest wine, the freshly squeezed grapes, because it was sweet and it tasted good. Uh, they weren't drinking to get drunk. That was a whole other drink that, that people would drink in ancient times, not wine. Wine was a table uh, beverage that they, although everybody ate, the, the children drank at, at dinner and so forth. And so they said they bring out the best wine. You know, so you bring it to Jesus. He could do so much more with it than you could ever do. And so many other people are blessed by it. You give him water, he, he give, gives people wine at a wedding. I think one of my favorite examples of this is, is with Peter. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus wanted to borrow Peter's boat. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him, that's Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another name for the lake of Galilee, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon, Peter's, and he asked him to put it a little way out from the land. And he sat down and he began teaching the multitudes from the boat. So get the picture. The fishermen are cleaning their nets. The boats aren't out on the lake. Jesus says, I need to borrow a boat. I need to kind of get a little more, uh, you know, oomph to my, uh, my speech so that the people could hear me better. So he wanted to get a little further away so that the, the, the sound would bounce off the, off the water and, and everyone would be able to hear him. It was a big crowd. And they're washing their nets, and he, Peter lets him borrow his boat, <clears throat> and he teaches the multitudes. Verse 4, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, another name for Peter, Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night. We've caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help. And they came and filled both of the boats so that the boats began to sink. So they couldn't catch any fish all night long. They're professional fishermen. 
Jesus comes around, comes along and says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Sure, go ahead. We didn't catch anything anyways. Jesus preaches a sermon, ministers to the people. He says, okay, now go take it out. You're going to catch some fish. You know, Jesus borrowed Peter's boat when it was empty. He returned it full of fish. So Jesus can do so much more with what you and I have if we just give him what we have. Bring me the five loaves and the two fish. Bring me the water. I'll turn it into wine. Let me borrow your boat and I'll fill it full of fish. If you do this, then I will do that. Again, we conclude where we began in Philippians chapter 4. And you probably will not hear another teaching on tithing from me for a long time because I won't teach on this again until we come across it uh, in our text in the future. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I hope you have a better understanding of what that promise is for the child of God than you did before you came in this morning. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.